You know, we're, uh, you know, God is for us. If God is for us, who could be against us? They were saying things like this. And, you know, the Lord, he would, Jeremiah would go back to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, the elders are saying this. The prophets are saying this. And the Lord has this beautiful interaction with Jeremiah. He says, those people aren't, aren't speaking for me. They're speaking on their own. And so Jeremiah would continue to go and tell the people, hey, you know, return to the Lord. Come back to the Lord. And then, you know, it got to the point where Jeremiah starts to, the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah about Nebuchadnezzar, you know, the enemy of Israel. And then the Lord is telling Jeremiah, Jeremiah, this is my vessel. Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. I'm going to use them to correct the people, to correct Judah. Remember, Israel, the 10 tribes of Israel went into Bab uh, 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 Assyrian captivity. And in Babylonian captivity, you know, you have uh, uh, Judah, the hardcore, you know, the, the, the stronghold of the things of God. You know, Judah was like, OK, we're not going to be we're not going to be liberal in our point of view like you 10 tribes. So we're we're going to separate. And so they separated. But then at the same time, you know, it was just it was less than 20 years. Israel goes into Assyrian captivity. Judah goes into Babylonian captivity. And the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. I'm going to use him to bring chastisement. Everybody knows the, the verse from... Um, I say everybody knows. I got to find it now. Everybody knows the verse. Bear with me. You guys might know it. I know the thoughts I have for you. Uh, where is yeah, it? Um, plans to prosper you. I know it's in Jeremiah. I thought it was in Jeremiah 9. It might be Jeremiah 9. I knew there was a 9. Okay. So this is, this is what he says. For I know, this is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And everybody knows that verse. You see it on stickers. You see it on bumpers. You see it on fridges. You see it on posters. You see it on framed pictures all over the place. But here in Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, what about having the knowledge that, hey, Judah, yes, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. But then to also know that 70 years you're going to be in Babylonian captivity. So many times people say, wow, you know, I want the blessings of the Lord. I want the blessings of the Lord, which is so beautiful. It's nothing bad to desire these things. It's beautiful. But don't forget, there's a time period of correction. You know, it's like a time period where you have to reap what has been sown. And, you know, in that period of time where you have reaped what you have sown you know we see that in in the life of judah when they're in babylonian captivity and that's where you see these beautiful 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 young people by the name of daniel shadrach meshach and abednego 
where, you know, Nebuchadnezzar gives the command, hey, when this horn blows, when these instruments sounds, everybody has to bow the knee and worship this image. And so, you know, the horn blasts, everybody falls down, except you see three guys standing up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The youth from Judah who were taken captive into these Babylonian lands. They did not bow down. But then at the same time, you start to see the influence of these godly people in the area of Babylon. And then so fast forward a little bit, you see Ezra, you see uh, uh, Nehemiah, and the command is given. You remember Adaxerxes? Adaxerxes is, is there on his throne. He was the king. He's sitting there on the throne, and then he has his, his assistant, his, you know, his guy there, and he sees him crying. Historically, if you were to cry before the king, you know, they could kill you because you want the king to have a good countenance. And so the king, Adaxerxes, looks up at Nehemiah and says, Nehemiah, why are you sad? Why is your countenance sad? And Nehemiah says, well, you know, 70 years ago, my people, we lived in Jerusalem. And now look, you know, it's asunder. It's destroyed. And then Adaxerxes says, you know what, Nehemiah? Don't worry about it. I want you, I'm going to give you a command to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild Jerusalem. A time of restoration. What's so beautiful is that Nehemiah didn't ask for it. He was just sad thinking about, wow, what could have been for my people? And then Nehemiah says, you know what? I want you to go back. And you read the, the, the other books from Ezra and you start to see how there was God's plan to rebuild the temple and then rebuild the, 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 uh, the gates on the outs outskirts of the temple. And you start to see, wow, there's restoration. But don't forget that 70 years of chastisement. And that's a hardcore example, an Old Testament example of what the Lord does to you and to me. Where we have a time period where it's like, wow, you know, we have to reap what we have sown when we sow these seeds unto the world, unto the flesh, unto the carnal nature. And what's so beautiful about these passages in the Old Testament is that these, the influence of these godly people had an impact to those around them. And I'm speaking about, I mean, you have the Samaritan people, which was brought back unto the Lord in John chapter 4. You have the woman at the well. But then at the same time, you also have these wise men under this influence, this godly, godly influence during that 70 years. And so, you know, they're sitting down, they're looking up at the stars, the wise men. They're looking up at the stars. And then they start to reflect, oh, this reminds me of the prophecy. And one of those men says, hey, guys, let's follow that star. Let's walk to that star. You know, we're going to walk, you know, let's load up our camels, let's go. So they load up their camels and they start to follow the star. They follow the star and they get to the point where they enter into the, like, they get to uh, uh, the manger. 
it's kind of interesting because when they got into the area, they sought the king. They sought uh, um, um, uh, Herod. They sought Herod. And so they get into the area where Herod is, but then at the same time, they're like, you know, where is this king? And so Herod says, I don't know. And then the wise guys leave, the wise men leave. And then what Herod does is he consults with the priests. Hey, priests, what, what is this? I hear of this, this king. And the priests have no idea. No idea. You read the Old Testament in passages in Exodus. And how the Lord desires oneness with his people. But he's, it's very specific to the high priest. How the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and speak with the Lord and confer with the... I shouldn't say speak with the Lord. The Lord would speak to him. And then come outside of the Holy of Holies and then outside of the gate of the tabernacle and then speak to the people. Thus saith the Lord. That's in accordance with the Old Testament. You remember our study through the book of Hebrews and we have a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. There's a new high priest. Remember, the veil was torn from top to bottom. Nobody knew about the first coming of this king. The people who were supposed to know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the high priest, they could have known when Jesus Christ started his earthly ministry, you know, they might have had doubts. Well, they should have had doubts. But then they could hear his words, see what he does, the work of his hands, and then they can go back to the, uh, 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 the temple, pull out the scrolls, open them up, and start to read. Wow, you know, Isaiah says this. Open up another scroll, read this. Oh, you know what? The Torah says this. Oh, open up another one. Another one. Say, oh, yeah, you know, this is what's written in the Pentateuch. To get to the point where they say, oh my goodness, this is the Messiah. Everybody worship him. The son of David is here. King of kings and Lord of lords. But no, something opposite happened. They said, we have no king but Caesar. Remember Pontius Pilate? Here you have Jesus. Here you have Barabbas. Which one do you want? They say, give us Barabbas. Not even a week earlier, they were saying, Hosanna, 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 save now. And less than a week later, they're crying out, crucify him. Crucify him. Blind to the first coming of the Messiah. And that's my fear for the church today. And I, I, I don't, I, you know, when the Lord teaches us about, you know, 10 virgins, Ten virgins. They're all virgins. You think, wow, cool. You know, there's purity. They all have oil. They're all anticipating the bridegroom. They all have their lamps. They all have oil for their lamps. And then all ten leave and go to the bridegroom. Except five run out of oil. And so five say, hey, give me some of your oil. May say, no, this is my oil. And so five leave to go and get their oil, replenish their oil. They come back and it's too late. It's too late. That's why, you know, as Christians, 
to be very, very generous with how God blesses you. Be very, very generous. But be very, very selfish with the oil. Because that's oil for you. That's oil for your lamp. And just, it's going to be the same way in the second coming of Christ. So many people blind to his coming. Blind to his coming. And I don't mean to sound like, you know, apocalyptic. But, you know, as Christians, you know, we have this expected anticipation of our coming king. And we can look up and know that redemption draws near. The second coming of our Lord and Savior, our king and master. He's coming again. And, you know, it blows me away because it's like, wait a second, what does the Bible say about these things? And these are things that the apostles remembered. They were disciples walking with Jesus Christ. And you read John chapter 6 where you have thousands and thousands of people following Jesus Christ. John chapter 6 is such a hardcore chapter. Because you have thousands and thousands and thousands of people, over 5,000. They just got done eating. They had the bread, the loaves, everything. Beautiful. And then so Jesus Christ starts to walk. And then he turns around and says something to them. He says, you guys are following me because your bellies are full. You like the goodies. And then he starts to give them truth. And the thousands become hundreds. That's what truth does. Truth is very, very painful to the carnal man, to the carnal woman. Because it's the Holy Spirit that's confronting us. Oh, I have these preconceived notions about this, preconceived notions about this. And then all of a sudden you start to read the Bible. You're like, wow, this is so comforting. I love this so much. You turn the page, you keep reading, and it's like a knife in your heart. You know what fools do? This is what fools do. Oh, I'm reading this passage, but it hurts my feelings. So you know what? I'm not going to read this page anymore. Oh, you know what? I'm not going to even read this book anymore. It's too convicting. I think God wouldn't do that. Be very, very careful with those people. Or if you ever have those thoughts, be very, very careful. Because it's the Lord himself who wants to do this change. Remember, it's a renewing of our minds. It's a, a, a transformation in our minds. A complete and total gut job. You know, imagine if you invite somebody into your home, you sit down with them, have a cup of coffee, and then all of a sudden the guy says, oh, let me look in that closet over there. You know how many people would say, no, 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 no. Don't go in that closet. You can sit here in the main room, but don't go down the hallway. Whatever you do, that's for me. That's my secret place. But if that ever, you can never do that with Jesus Christ. You can. I don't recommend it. If you do do that, I would say, well, be careful with calling Jesus Christ Lord. Because you're not letting him be Lord in your life, in your mind. It's very, very painful. But when you invite Jesus Christ into your heart, it's like saying, you know what, Lord? Yeah, you know, this closet, it's a mess. Down the hall, it's a mess. 
And you know, I'm kind of a secret hoarder in that room. I just throw everything in there. You can't even walk in there. I'm a hoarder. But Lord, you are Lord. And then he's the one who goes in that closet and starts to throw stuff away. He's the one that goes in your kitchen and rips off the cabinets. Don't forget he was a carpenter. He's going to replace it with something beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful cabinets. Do all these things and that's what he does inside of your heart, inside of my heart, when we let him. When we call him Lord and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. And it's so powerful because that's, that's my concern for the church today. It's like, you know, we, we call him Lord, but the way we live our lives, it's like he's not really Lord. And, you know, I, I, don't, I say this with all due respect to the Lord because I have such immense love for him. It's the same way you do. I have such immense love for the Lord. But don't forget the fear of the Lord. I like to think of the love of the Lord and the fear of the Lord as like, you know, when you're in your car, you hit your gas pedal, you know, and you floor it and you're flying down the highway. And that's like the love of the Lord. You know, Lord, I love you so much. And, you know, you compel me in this aspect. You help me in this area. And I love you so much. But don't forget the fear of the Lord. That's like the brakes. Like, whoa, okay. Hit the brakes. I'm not going down that path. I'm not touching that. That's the love of the Lord and the fear of the Lord working together in his bride. So many people stress the love of the Lord. Yes, love of the Lord, love of the Lord, love of the Lord. Which isn't a bad thing. But don't forget, it has to be married with the fear of the Lord. All these passages we have in Scripture of people who love the Lord and fear the Lord. And then you have passages where people don't fear the Lord. And then you see what happens. In this age of grace that we're in, the church age, you know, that door of mercy and grace, it's going to close. There's going to be a time period of judgment. It is coming. And me personally, I firmly believe that we are a last day's church. A last day's church. But you know, we could be like the wise men and follow the star. You know, metaphysically speaking, I'm not, you know, advocating anything weird. But to be aware and know the signs of the times and the time of the signs and look up and know that redemption draws near. Turn with me really quick to Luke 8. We're in our study through the book of Acts, but we're going to look at Luke 8 really quick. In Luke 8, the Lord himself is speaking in a parable. And he says this in verse 5. He says, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on, the ro- some fell on rock, as, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And it's so beautiful because the disciples are like, What? What is he talking about? 
And so Jesus Christ, he starts to explain the parable to them. And this is what he says here in verse 11. He says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are the one, are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. You see how beautiful these passages are? God's word, this seed, goes forth and lands on four recipients. The ones by the wayside, the ones by the rock, the ones by the thorns, and then the ones on good ground. And the ones on the good ground bear fruit. They keep it and bear fruit. So you see four? You know what I see? I see 25%. 25%. It's a remnant. Just as there was a remnant in the Old Testament, there's a remnant in accordance with grace. Read Romans 11. You know what else I see? You see a 25% remnant. You also see a 75% fail rate. I don't mean to call it like a fail rate. But you look at those odds and it begs the question, whoa, you know what? The fight is very real. And I don't mean a fight like in the carnal sense. I mean the fight of like, hey, you know what? I'm going to stop playing games with the Lord. You know, I want to, you know, like it's so beautiful because, you know, everybody says, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, he hung out with the prostitutes. He hung out with the tax collectors. He did all these things. And you read the passage of the gospel and it's like he, he, he went all over the place. But then very key, he would always tell them, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Yes, he would heal. Yes, he would give truth. Yes, the multitudes became hundreds, became 12, became zero. He was all by himself on the cross. Hey, crap, crucify him, kill him. Like a sheep led to the slaughter. Prophesied in Isaiah 53. The fulfillment of prophecy. But, you know, I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer. Because it's also beautiful because you start to see from that zero, he rose again. And then the zero becomes thousands, becomes more thousands, becomes more thousands. And the church blows up in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what happens if we start our study now in the book of Acts chapter 4. We're going to resume our study here in Acts chapter 4. This is a little precursor.
remember, it's, you start to see this, this makeup. And I don't want to turn it into like a cheesy equation, but this 75% fail rate, it's the devil, the temptations, and then the pleasures of life. You know, it's like, where is the good ground? That's my prayer for all of us, myself included. We're all in the same boat. I never want to come off in the position where it's like, hey, you know, you guys got to do this. You guys got to do this. You guys got to do this, this, this. It's like, hey, we're all in the same boat. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. But then at the same time, you start to see in the power of the Holy Spirit, you have Peter and John. They start to see they're, they're, they're doing something. You start to see opposition. You know, multitudes are being saved. It, like in, in chapter uh, 2, verse 41, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And so all of a sudden, there's this, in chapter 3, there's this guy who was lame from birth, couldn't walk. Not lame at age 10, you know, he didn't like lose his legs at age 10. He didn't lose his legs at age 20 from birth. Never walked before. And then, you know, he see, he's there at the entrance of the temple. And he's looking for money. He's like begging. Hey, give me some money. And Peter and John say, in verse 6 of chapter 3, say, Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. You know, in accordance with Catholic tradition, they say Peter was the first pope. But I read my Bible and here, Peter doesn't say, hey, kiss my ring. Get on your knees and kiss my ring in accordance with, you know, the first and second Vatican councils. Everybody can have all these presuppositions about Jesus Christ and what God says, but the final authority is in the word of God, Genesis to Revelation. You read the first Vatican council, okay, this doesn't line up, garbage. Second Vatican council doesn't line up, garbage. This is our final authority. The word became flesh, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Peter doesn't say, kiss my ring, bow down before me. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then strength came in his, it says, in verse 7, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. He leaped up, stood, walked, and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Praise unto the Lord. And all the people are wondering, what in the world? What has happened? Yes, a miracle has happened. And as Peter and John start to explain you start to see opposition. Opposition. Very, very, very interesting. That's how the enemy works. Seeds are planted. And the enemy comes in and he tries to take away those seeds. Just as we read in Luke 8. Just as we read in Luke 8. The devil comes and take, takes away the word out of their hearts. Lest they should believe and be saved. And the, the devil, our enemy, Lucifer, Beelzebub, that serpent of old, the father of lies who was a murderer from the beginning, he wants to take away those seeds. He wants to take away the seeds right here in our passage, and he wants to take away the seeds in your life and in my life.
That's what he desires to do. You know what you do? Don't let him. Don't let him. This is what happens now in verse 1 of chapter 4. Now as they spoke, remember, Peter and John are explaining these things to the multitude. The priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, it's the same crew. The same crew that was, you know, giving beef to Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. And they had their lawyers with them. They tried to trap Jesus Christ. Well, if this, if, you know, the Old Testament says this, the law says this. So what should we do? And then, you know, the Lord would just speak. You know, Moses wrote about that because of your weakness. And then he goes, pre-law, pre-law. It wasn't that case in the garden where there was Adam and where there was Eve. It's like, whoa, pre-law? The Sadducees, the Pharisees, they're like, you know, he didn't go to school with us. How does he know these things? I can read about them. I got to pull out the old scrolls and, you know, roll it out and start to read everything. And this guy is speaking these things and it's just coming out of his mouth. You know, that's why, you know, in his earthly ministry, you know, Jesus Christ should have been acknowledged as Lord, as the Messiah by the priesthood. But they were blind. They were blind. You remember the indictment that Jesus Christ had for them in Matthew 23? He was mad. Man, was he mad. This is what he said in Matthew 23. Speaking to the multitudes and to his disciples in Matthew 23. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. You see, they like the accolades of men, these Pharisees, these scribes, these Sadducees. They like to appear holy. Woe is not a good word in the Bible. That's a word that brings fear. It's not a good word when you're on the receiving end of woe. W-O-E. And in verse 13, Jesus Christ says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. They're actors. Hypocrites in the Greek. You know, you see like a mask here, a sad mask, a happy mask, a mad mask, a astonished mask, and you put on a mask. Okay, I'm mad now. You take off that mask and you put on another. Okay, I'm happy now. You take off another mask, put on another. Oh, I'm sad now. And that's what was happening with these religious leaders. They're actors. They're playing a part. They are hirelings. And Jesus Christ says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 15. Woe to you. Verse 16. Woe to you. Verse 17. Fools and blind. Verse 19. Fools and blind. Verse 23. Woe to you. 
Verse 24, blind guides. Verse 25, woe to you. Verse 26, blind Pharisee. Verse 27, woe to you. Verse 29, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 33, serpents and brood of vipers. That's a heavy indictment. And you know what's so powerful about chapter 23? You go to the early chapters in the Gospels, and the Lord was speaking plainly. Speaking plainly, even to the Pharisees, engaging in this conversation. You have a beautiful Pharisee uh, by the name of Nicodemus, who would, you know, sneak out at night. What do you mean, born again, Lord? What do you mean? How can an adult male, you know, return to the womb? It's impossible. And Jesus Christ, like, have you not read? Have you not heard? Do you not study? I love this so much when Jesus would say these things. Have you not read? Do you not know these things? You're supposed to teach the people these things. And you don't know yourself? And it gets to the point at the end of Matthew in chapter 23, he's straight up calling the Pharisees, you guys are hypocrites. Woe to you. And it blows me away because instead of repenting, they're still at their same game. An enemy of the cross. Because you see them here in Acts chapter 4. The priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees. You know, it names names in a couple more verses. And it's the same characters. They, no repentance. That's the beauty of repentance. Graces can often be referred to as an acronym, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. I talked to a guy once caught up in egregious, egregious sin. And he tells me, Jay, I don't know what to do. Have you repented? No, I can't. I can't even repent. Why not? It's so, look what I've done. My sin, it's so, it's so ugly. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. No, not one. Exclamation point. That's the beauty of repentance. I'm talking to this guy and he tells me, man, it's, it's too good to be true. I can't believe this. I says, man, that's grace. That's grace. It's not just a matter of saying, hey, you know what? I'm forgiven. I'm just going to keep doing. I'm going to go ahead and do this. I'm going to beat on my wife. I'm going to get drunk tonight. I'm going to do my drugs. I'm going to cheat on my wife. I'm going to do all these things. And you know what? I'll just repent. No big deal. Paul, we're going to read that when we get to Romans. Paul says, don't you ever do that. Does that mean that we should sin so that grace can abound? He says, no way, exclamation point. Don't do that. That's called taking advantage of God's grace. That's called re-crucifying Jesus Christ, which is impossible. Read uh, Hebrews 6. Re-crucifying Jesus Christ, it's impossible. And look what happens here. These same characters, these same enemies of the cross, these same hypocrites, actors, 
They're opposing the work of the Lord in Peter and John, who are now empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says, now as they spoke to the people, this is in Acts 4, verse 1. Now as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. And this word to come upon is to be present, but it's in an assaulting manner. I mean, if you ever see like in junior high and high school, like when two guys are about to fight, you know, they really like get up on each other. Which, you know, me personally, I always thought was the dumbest thing ever. You know, I used to have a friend who was a boxer. And he never did that. You know, somebody come up to him and it's a boom, 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 out, lights out. But it's kind of like that. It's like, you know, confrontational. Kind of bowing up and coming up against them. Came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Very interesting. How the enemy doesn't want these seeds to come off these pages and into your heart. If you're reading the Bible, the enemy doesn't want these words, every jot, every tittle to go into your eyes and into your heart. If you're hearing the words, because remember, Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The enemy doesn't want these words to come off these pages out of someone's mouth, the preacher's mouth, and for the words to go into your ear holes and right down to your heart. He doesn't want that to happen. And his minions, his servants, are greatly opposed to these things. These priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, are greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Look what happens here now in verse 3. You know, the Antichrist spirit... The Antichrist spirit is greatly disturbed when you are taught from the Bible. Greatly, greatly disturbed when you're taught from the Bible. It's very interesting because here you have Peter and John. And John, in the, the epistles of John, he speaks, he starts to write about the Antichrist spirit. Who is alive and well 2,000 years ago and who is alive and well today. The culmination of the Antichrist spirit is going to be the embodiment of the Antichrist. Two people in the Bible are indwelt by Satan himself. Only two people. One of them was Judas. One of them was Judas. And the other is the coming Antichrist. Who is coming? It is written. He's coming. And that's why, you know, you see these writers, Paul... Peter, John, Jude, don't fall asleep. Be awake, be on guard. I mean, if you're ever on formal guard duty, do you know what would happen if you fell asleep? And you know what would happen if the captain of the guard comes rolling up to check on those on guard? The sergeant of the guard would come up and he sees you sleeping. We're in church, I can't even tell you what would happen, but it wouldn't be good. But the Antichrist spirit is greatly disturbed when you're taught from the Bible. All the reformers, you know, they're, they're all, all of them were former Catholics. Because the, everybody was poor. You look at like Germany. Everybody was poor. It was the wealthy class who could go to formal education. Some would become lawyers. Some would become doctors. Some parents, you know, they would work like crazy, have all this money, and then send their kid to, you know, a Catholic school. 
And so the kids would grow up and learn all these things, learn uh, Greek, learn Hebrew, and then they would start to read the texts and start to realize everything I read in the Catholic doctrine is fake. It's a farce. And so you have these reformers who started to say, hey, come out of the Catholic Church. Come out of the Catholic Church. Enter into these truths. You look, this is what the Hebrew text says. This is what the Greek text says. And you know what happened? You know what the Roman Catholic did? The Roman Catholic Church did? They killed them. They wanted to kill them. Here we have the full counsel of the word of God. You know, you have a free app on your phone. You can download it. It's no cost to you. But there's a lot of blood involved in those letters. The very blood of our Lord, but then the blood of his servants as well. There's a free ebook, you know, on Apple. And there's a free ebook on Kindle. It's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read it. It's our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Men, women, young, old who were killed. They were tortured. Hey, deny Jesus Christ. Deny Jesus Christ. What they did to these people, our early brothers and sisters, who we will see one day. What a beautiful, great marriage supper it's going to be. And we will see these people one day. What they did, they tortured, how they would tie them down. What they did to pregnant women, cutting out babies. All at the hands of the Roman Catholic Church. Torture and saying, deny Jesus Christ. If you don't deny Jesus Christ, I'm going to cut off your arm. If you don't deny Jesus Christ, we're going to do this to you. And they would be like tied down and tortured. Tongues cut off. I said, I'm not denying Jesus Christ. I'm not going to deny my Lord. Beautiful in the, in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Whenever you're taught the Bible, whenever you're taught from the Holy Word of God, you're, you can expect opposition. You can expect Satan to be right at your doorstep. Expect it. That's why the Lord teaches us. And the Lord teaches us in Matthew 12, verse 43, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So that so shall it be. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. This is the nature of warfare right here. This is the nature of spiritual battle right here. Because you can be involved in, in like, it, it, like hardcore drugs, meth, whatever. It's popular nowadays. It's nice and cheap. Everybody's doing it. 
And then all of a sudden, a person believes in Jesus Christ and the unclean spirit leaves. Somebody says, wow, I'm renewed in Christ Jesus. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. But don't forget, that evil spirit is going to come back. And he's not going to come back alone. He's going to come back with seven other spirits. Who is going to be ready for that? That's why it's not just, you know, a social club. It's not like we come here like, oh, you know, did you sew some socks? You know, oh, you know, how did you play? How was basketball last night? You know, I'm I, 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 as much as I love people. It's not about that. Is to say, hey, you know what? Let's be equipped by the word of God to fight, to fight like crazy. Because you know what? These demons will come. So many people say, you know, the, the demonology, it's, it's, that's, that's fake. It's not, there's no such thing as the occult. There's no such thing as Satan. That's one of the biggest lies that Satan has for people. That he's not real. But spiritual warfare is very, very, very real. But when this evil spirit comes back, not alone, but with seven other spirits more wicked than himself, who will be ready? Who will be ready to fight the good fight? And that's what's so beautiful about how the Lord teaches us, how he equips us. Remember, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal in nature. They're very spiritual. The helmet, the, the shield, the helmet, the breastplate. Don't forget the sword. So when the evil spirit comes, it's like, boom, you put the shield down, you hold up your, you put the mask down, you put your shield up and you have your sword and you're ready. But no, so many people, oh, you know what? Satan's out to get me, you know, Satan's out to get me. And I don't mean to sound sympathetic to the enemy in no way, shape or form. But am I trying to sound sympathetic? But remember, the Lord says, count the cost. I'm like, oh, Jay, you know what? Satan's out to get me. It's like, okay, let's talk about this. Hmm. Okay, so this is the present situation. Hit the rewind button. Let's hit the rewind button. Okay, stop. Now hit play. You see when you did this? You should have prayed. You should have gone right when you went left. Right here at this very point in time, there was dishonor unto the Lord. And I, not in an accusatory fashion. I mean, I could do the same thing in my life. Hit the rewind button in my life and say, hey, look, see this choice I made over here? That dishonored the Lord. And I might, I might have made the mistake one more time, maybe two more times. But if I start to play games with the Lord and just, okay, yeah, the Lord will forgive, forgive me. That's not good. That's why, you know, you can look inside the church and look inside the world and you see no difference. It's the same. That's called, that's being lukewarm. One foot in the church and one foot in the world. That's not good. Our pastor in California always used to say, hey, if your position in Christ is not better today than it was yesterday, you are already backslidden. I used to hate it when he would say that. I used to hate it so much. 
Why would he say that? He's so mean. He's so mean. But then I started to read the Bible. I started to apply the Bible in my life. I was like, whoa, he's so right. He's so right. If my position in Christ is not better, is not is 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 not better than it was yesterday, I'm already backslidden. And my encouragement to everybody here, myself included, is to remember those words. Not that there's like, you know, we have to earn grace. But to take all these things, you know, acknowledge the Lord as Lord and say, Lord, you know what? Clean out the closet if you want to. Lord, go ahead and go back in that hallway. Clean it out. Here am I. Here am I. I'm yours. Clean it out. And the Lord does a complete and total gut job inside of our hearts. He'll take out the old and he'll replace it with something new and something beautiful. I promise you. I guarantee you. That's how he works. And so now look what happens in here in Acts chapter 4 verse 3. And they laid hands on them. This is a forceful, this translates as a, a forceful throwing of hands. It's like, you know what? They laid hands on them and put them in custody. Beautiful, beautiful John and Peter are now in jail. And put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. This is quite the day for them. Quite the day for them. And you know what's so beautiful about the book of Acts? Is that jail is not unusual. A lot of Christians are thrown in jail. A lot of Christians are beaten. You know, Christians, people would make fun of Christians. Oh yeah, they say they're the light of the world. They say they're the light of the world. That's what Nero did to the early church. He would say, okay, Christians, you want to be the light of the world? He would take them, put them on a stick, and put the stick up, and that, that would light his gardens. You know, you'd be walking through the, you know, beautiful, beautiful gardens, rose bush over here, everything nice, nice little portico, well lit. You look up and you see what's burning. It's Christians. Christians. Nero would mock the church. They call themselves the light of the world. Okay, I'll make them the light of the world. You know, it's been said before, if you're accused of being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict? Is there enough evidence to convict? Jail is not an unusual thing for the early church. Hardcore, hardcore persecutions. Ultimately, it gets to the point where it's life-threatening. The Romans would come to your house. Hey, who is Lord? You say, you know, Caesar is Lord. You're up. You got a sword at your throat. Caesar is Lord. You get to live. You get to see another day. You say, Jesus is Lord. Boom, they kill you. Or they take you for the Colosseum. Take you for the arena so you can be killed for sport. That's the early church. Free. Word of God, free, free apps on our phones. But there's a lot of blood with these words. Of our Lord himself, of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Even still to this day, we're just trapped in this America bubble. We're sheltered from a lot of, you know, I, I read things about the persecuted church in Vietnam. Some pastors that I follow, I follow their conferences. And they go to, you know, their plane lands and, you know, like, uh, like in the main airport. 
but then they can't say where they go. And pastors who are beaten, they let the pastor go. You know, they arrest the pastor and then they go and they beat him up in Vietnam. Not mainland Vietnam, but like in the, the, like the, in the mountains. And then all of a sudden, you know, they take the pastor, they arrest the pastor, they beat him up. The pastor comes back to teach his flock. You know, with black eyes, no teeth. And he goes to teach. Hey, you know, feeding the word of God to the flock that the Lord has given him. Not his flock, the flock of our Lord. And then he teaches, no teeth. Can't understand him because he can't enunciate very well. But there he is in obedience to our Lord, teaching the word. And then all of a sudden the pastor disappears. Nobody hears from him. Suspected that he's dead. They killed him. Nobody's heard from him. These persecutions are happening today. As we speak even. It's nothing new under the sun as Solomon writes. And so look what happens here in verse 4. However, many of those who heard the word. Remember Romans 10 verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Not, I don't say whoa like W-O-E. I say whoa like whoa. 5,000 men. No wonder the religious establishment was mad. These people come, you know, we dress like we're holy. We wear the robe. We wear all these things. People would bring their sheep. We'd inspect the sheep, find a blemish, and sell them another sheep. We would make our profit. All these people would come. A woman would come. I can have my way with her. All these things. And here are these Christians, and they're changing the order of business. I'm going to kill these guys. Let's imprison these guys. They're changing our modus operandi. They're changing it. That's the religious establishment. It's the end of whatever it was that they were doing. You know when Jesus Christ turned the, the money changers over? He was mad. That was righteous indignation. He was mad. He had every right to be mad. Because in accordance with the law, people would come. Heads of families. If I had an egregious sin in my house, under my roof, say I had a son or daughter who committed an egregious sin, I would correct my son or daughter. I would take my lamb. Say I was like, you know, a, a, a middle class. I would take my lamb, you know, without blemish. I wouldn't give like this, you know, mangy animal, which people would do sometimes. And it wasn't pleasing to the Lord. All you got to do is read Malachi. The Lord was mad, like, you're going to bring me this mangy thing? I don't want it. But no, you know, so I would take my flock, take up my flock, the, without, the best one, cream of the crop. Yeah, I could sell it and make a lot of money, but no, I'm going to give it to the Lord. I would go to the priest and say, there's sin in my home. You know, here's for atonement. The priest would kill it, take some of the blood, sprinkle it on me, sprinkle it on the brazen altar. And it was atonement for sin. But no, when Jesus Christ was mad, they turned it into a business. 
people would come with their animal and they would inspect it and be like, well, no, we found this blemish. Here, let's put this aside, but I'll sell you this one for 500 bucks. And people want their sin atoned for that. Okay, here, here's my money. Here's my 500 bucks. Jesus Christ walked into the temple. And he was like, what in the world is going on? He says, you turned my father's house into a den of thieves. He himself was the propitiation for our sins. He himself was the lamb like, like led to the slaughter. The sacrificial lamb. And here you have the religious establishment. They're mad. It says in verse 5, And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes. So there's a bit more than verse 1. The crowd of opposition is increasing. As well as Anas, the high priest, Caiaphas, that name ring a bell? Remember Caiaphas? He's still to his same tricks. John and Alexander, and as many were of the family of the high priest. It's a family affair. The religious establishment, it's a family affair. You know, it's the natural bloodline of people. You know, you have a pastor, you have, you know, a co-pastor. They say, well, you know what? My son is going to be pastor. And then you have, oh, you know, he gets old, he grows up, has a family. Oh, yeah, my son is going to be a pastor. Then you look at like a church history and you see all the pastors, they're all in the same family. The natural bloodline. There is such a thing as a supernatural bloodline. And I'm speaking about the bloodline of faith. Remember when Abraham was alone in the wilderness? An old man. An old man married to a woman who couldn't have babies. And the Lord is speaking to him. And says, you know, Abraham, look up at the stars. So Abraham, in obedience, looks up at the stars. And the Lord tells him, you know, all your heirs are going to be like that. Your family tree is going to be more than the stars. And you're, you know, you, like now you look up at the stars. You know, Liz is from L.A. where we used to live. You know, you look up at the stars, you see nothing, you know. It's an orange sky, all dirty. You can barely breathe. Your eyes are burning because all the smog. But here you go camping. You go out in the boonies. You look up at the sky and there's like stars all over the place. That's how it was with Abraham. And the Lord is telling him, like, your, all your descendants are going to be more than these stars. How can this be? I'm an old man. My wife is old. She's barren. But he believed. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And what I love about that promise of the Lord is you see the carnal nature of man too. Because his wife says, well, here's my maidservant. They took it upon themselves. Here's my maidservant. Which presented a whole heap of problems down the road, even in this gen even today. Remember, you know, the Lord was like, no, 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 no. It's your seed, Abraham. Both Abraham laughed. Abraham and his wife laughed. How can this be? Remember the wife? She's an old lady. How can I have pleasure? I'm an old lady. How can I have pleasure? That's what's so beautiful about the promises of the Lord. You don't have to know how. You don't even have to know why. All you have to know is the who. 
Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, and lean on His promises. But always, always, always expect opposition. Church is a family affair, but not a family in accordance with the carnal nature. Not a family of the flesh. The family of faith. The promise made to Abraham. Paul writes about this more in Ephesians, Galatians, about that family tree of Abraham by faith and belief in Jesus Christ. And so he says, you know, you see this big family affair because it's the family of the high priest. We're gathered together at Jerusalem. And, you know, the Lord bypassed the priesthood. Very interesting. Because you read the passages in the Old Testament and the Lord speaks to the priesthood. The Lord would speak to the high priest. That's why Jeremiah was like, you know, Lord, you know, you have these people. You have the elders. You have the priests. And the Lord was like, I don't speak for them. They don't speak for me. Ezekiel was like, you know, you read Ezekiel. Ezekiel's, Lord, why are you, using, why are you calling me? Why are you calling me, Lord? Look at all these elders you have. But then you read Ezekiel 8, and the Lord says, Okay, Ezekiel, you think I have these elders? Come here, let me show you. He, he takes Ezekiel to this big wall, and he says, Ezekiel, pick, pick a hole in the wall. So Ezekiel, in obedience, okay, Lord, puts a hole in the wall. And the Lord says, okay, now look. In obedience, okay, Lord. He looks through the hole, and the Lord says, what do you see? Tell me what you see. It's one of the saddest chapters. And for me, I read it and it's like tears are flowing. Because he sees these, the elders, the people who he thought were holy. There they are worshiping other gods. Worshiping the sun. You know, you talk to people, it's like, wow, well, you know, yeah, I do my yoga. I do my yoga. Look how cool I am. Look at my shape. Look at my body. You know, I do my yoga. I do all these things. Look at I'm doing the sun salutation. It's like, oh, that reminds me of Ezekiel 8. All these people worshiping the sun, just like you're doing. Oh, but I like my body to feel good. You know, I like to stretch. Okay, then stretch. You don't have to worship the sun. Go ahead and stretch. But man, you're going to worship the sun. You read about the kundalini spirit from yoga and what they do. The kundalini spirit. It's satanic. You think God is pleased in these things? I, you know, people get mad at me when I talk like this. But God is not mocked. We are his people. We are his bride. You know, a bride. You see a bride. You talk to somebody, a, a female a 20-year-old girl who's about to be married. 22, maybe. You talk to this girl, like, and she's like, can't wait. Wow, this guy's going to be my husband. I'm going to marry this guy. He's so beautiful. And then you talk to the guy. Oh, I can't wait to marry this girl. She's so beautiful. The Lord is the same way with us. Jesus Christ is the same way with you and with me. As much as we desire to be with him. Don't forget, as soon as the father says, okay, son, it's time. Boom. He comes for his bride. We want to be with him. And don't forget, he wants to be with you. 
And it's so powerful because, you know, there's this great, great, great message. The good news. And it's so cool because the Lord bypasses the priesthood. Remember like in Samuel, I want to say Samuel 1. First Samuel 1. You don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll, I'll read it. It's kind of sad too. Actually, it's very sad. I get spoiled by these tabs. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel, he was a little boy. The boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. The word of the Lord was rare. But yet the Lord spoke to Samuel. Beautiful, beautiful Samuel. I love Samuel so much. You know who I love also is his beautiful, beautiful mom. Because she would make little clothes, fashion little clothes for him like a little priest. And like, it's so beautiful. And the Lord honored Hannah's prayer. But the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And just like we're here in Acts chapter 4, the Lord bypassed the priesthood. The priesthood. In Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3 verse 2 says, While Anas and Caiaphas were high priests, so you have the religious establishment, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. The word of God went to John. In the Old Testament, the Lord would speak to the priesthood and the Lord would speak to the people through the priesthood. But you know what would happen when the priesthood was a mess? The Lord would look for who's next. Who is it that's after my own heart? I'm going to use them. I'm going to speak to them. Male and female. He did the same thing with Ruth. What's up with all the men? All the men are like... Frady cats, little boys. Yeah, they have facial hair. They have big muscles, but they also have an umbilical cord tied to their mommy. That's men. And so the Lord would look and see, wow, who am I going to use? And he used beautiful, beautiful oh, Esther and Ruth, Hannah, Lydia. All these beautiful people. It's like, well, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, yeah, you know, leave the leave the godly work to the men. Stupid. You know, in Christ, there's no male, female, young, old, slave, free, rich, poor. God uses. Remember, we did our study with, you know, we're going to talk about it here in brief. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. But the Lord bypassed the priesthood. Who are the ones who have ears to hear and eyes to see? The Lord knows. And he will use you. He will bypass the structure of what you think is holy. He will bypass that structure altogether and say, no, I'm going to use you. Just like Ezekiel, Lord, you have all these godly people. And the Lord, you think they're godly people? Let me show you what these people are involved with. I wonder what the Lord would say today. 
I don't think Paul, I don't think these apostles that we read about, Paul, Peter, James, I don't think they would be well received in the church today. Can you imagine Paul walking into a church where you have a, 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 a transgender priest? And Paul walking into the church. You know, you see this female who is, you know, teaching the people and the female has, you know, big, big shoulders. It's like, well, that's not a female. You know what Paul would say? They would kill him. If Paul were to utter anything against that. They would kill him. It's a sign of the times. Sign of the times. Our culture is getting worse and worse and worse. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's getting worse, so what do we do? Well, stand firmly on the rock of salvation. Stand firmly on the rock of salvation. And so look what happens here, you know. It's like the Lord bypassed the priesthood, and the Lord is using John and Peter. In verse 7 says, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, By what power or by what name have you done this? By what power or by what name? Very interesting. I'm getting ahead of myself, but in Acts chapter 19, there's a very similar situation where Paul is doing these, these miracles at the name of Jesus Christ. And then you have seven sons of Siva. They like, like, wow, look at, you know, they're powerful. You know, Paul is doing these things. The people love him, all these things. We want to do it too. And then a demon possessed man, you know, the demon starts to speak. It says, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? Remember, the Lord is not mocked. When you yield the sword, when you take up the shield, when you wear the breastplate, when you put on the helmet and you fight, you're fighting in the name of Jesus Christ. You're not fighting for accolades of men. Oh, I want to look holy. You're fighting for the name, for the sake of Jesus Christ. He is Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to see this a lot in the book of Acts. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And I love that. You have these men, these women, young people even. They're not on empty. Not on empty at all. The gospel, you know, it's not just a sales pitch. It's not a sales pitch at all. People turn it into a sales pitch. But the Bible says in Romans 1.16, it's the power of God unto salvation. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. It's quite the audience he has now. It's the bigwigs, so to speak, of the religious establishment. If we this day are judged, remember, they're fresh out of jail. They just got out of jail. And they're there before the council. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, don't forget too, the lame man, you know, he was healed, who was lame from birth. He's up, walk, people were like astonished. Is that the lame guy? Is that the guy who would ask me for money? I thought his legs were all messed up. Now he is jumping, leaping for joy and praising God. What in the world is happening? And Peter starts to explain. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means has he been made well? By what means has he been made whole? Let it be known to you all 
and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. You know, Peter's different. Peter's no longer a scaredy cat. Remember when we ended our study in the book of Matthew? You have all the men who are scaredy cats. They were in hiding. Well, they killed Jesus Christ. The Romans are guarding him. And if we stand for righteousness, if we stay, we're aligned with Jesus Christ, they're going to arrest me. They might hang me too. They might put me on a cross too. And they were scaredy cats in hiding from the religious leaders and the Romans. But it was the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful women. A lot of old women too, old ladies. You know, I think it's so cool. If you were to ask me 22 years ago, hey, Jay, who are the five most beautiful people? I would tell you, these are the five most beautiful people. And you say, okay, this guy's pretty carnal. But if you were to ask me today, hey, Jay, who are the five most beautiful people? Every single one of you here today, I guarantee you, would think I'm blind. You know, some of the most beautiful people don't, don't even have arms or legs. But you hear this guy speak and it's like tears in my eyes. Like, whoa, who is this guy? Old ladies, old women who sacrifice their lives, you know. Honor the Lord and they do all these things. Who are the five most beautiful people? That's what the Lord does with the mind. That's what the Lord does with the heart. You start to read the Bible. You fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with him. And then you take your pages off the Bible and you look into the world. We're in this world. You look in the world and your eyes are different. Completely and totally different. That's a transformation of mind. That's a renewing of the mind. That's the gut job that the Lord does. When you invite him into your heart, he goes in and he starts tearing things up. He starts cleaning house because you know why? It's his temple now. It's not my temple. It's a temple of the Lord. And you see these Old Testament battles when the glory of the Lord would leave. And, you know, Israel would lose battles. They would go to war and they would start to lose battles. So what happened to the glory of the Lord? What happened to the spirit of the Lord? Where's his glory? The Shekinah glory. Where is it? And you have like Joshua. Lord, why are we losing these battles? And the Lord would speak to Joshua. Why are you praying to me, Joshua? Why are you even praying? You lost the battle because there's sin in the camp. Sin in the camp. He says, you know what? Address this sin in the camp and then you will start to win these battles because the Shekinah glory is with the people. The same thing applies to you and me. That's the danger of compromise. Oh yeah, God will forgive me. Let me go. You know, I'm going to go get drunk. I'm going to get higher than a kite. God will forgive me. He's a God of grace. We're in the church age. It's the, the age of grace. Here, you know, take a drink of this. Stupid. 
You know what that is? That's old wineskin. And the new wine goes into the new wineskin. And the new wineskin might be able to hold new wine, or the old wineskin might be able to hold wine for a little bit. But then the holes start to come in. Your vessel can't contain holy things. But what happens when you're transformed by renewing of your mind? The Lord changes you. He does the gut job. You're immersed in the word of God. You're reading Old Testament, New Testament. You're understanding the character, the nature of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, your new wineskin. You reckon the old man dead. You reckon the old woman dead. And then from on high, the new wine pours into this new wineskin. And it's like, it's not going anywhere except in the vessel. Except you're, you're open at the top. And the Lord does the work in you. He changes you. And he keeps pouring the wine. And then all of a sudden, it starts to overflow, overflow. And that's when the Lord does the work through you. So many people say, oh, yeah, I want to be a vessel of the Lord. I want the Lord to use me. I want the Lord to use me in this ministry, in this ministry, in this ministry. And he can. But in yielding to him, he has to do the work in you first. That the Lord does the work in you and then he does the work through you. I wonder sometimes in our prayer life, it's like, Lord, you know, use me, Lord. I want to be used by you. I wonder if the Lord's like, you know, I want that too. But you have to put down the crack pipe. You have to give up the alcohol. You have to give up this. These friends that you have that are pulling you this way. I have these people in church that are pulling you here. I want you to be in the work. You want to be used by me? I want to use you. But I have to do a work in you first. And you know, that's not immediate. Something it takes, you know, we have 80, I don't know, 80, 70 years to live, 90. New technology, I don't know, 130, I don't know. But it's a whole lifetime. A whole lifetime to learn these things. But that doesn't change the nature of our Lord. In any way, shape, or form, it doesn't change the nature of our Lord. His desire to use you. His desire to have oneness with you. And Peter is no longer a scaredy cat here. Remember how the disciples, they were in hiding, but you have these beautiful women there. I don't care about the Romans. Beautiful, beautiful women. I don't care about the Romans. I don't care about the religious leaders. I want to see my Lord. I, I want to, you know, bring him uh, 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 aromatics for his tomb. And then they go, where's the tomb? The tomb is empty. What in the world happened? What happened? And Mary was like, you know, she goes to look. She sees a guy there. She's like, what have you done to my Lord? Not realizing it's Jesus. What have you done to my Lord? Tell me where you've put him. And then all of a sudden he, she, he turns. He sees she sees the Lord and she like falls, like holds him. He tells her, Mary, you got to let go of me. I have not yet ascended to my father. You got to let go of me, Mary, but go and tell the others, go and tell the disciples. So she books it. She runs. She tells the guy, hey, guys, I saw Jesus. He's alive. And they're like, you're so crazy. And John and Peter, they book it. They run to the tomb. And sure enough, John was faster. He got to the tomb first. Peter gets there next and he goes inside. Sure enough, it was empty. 
And you see such beautiful things start to happen. And then they start to remember, oh yeah, I remember the Lord said this. So many, thing in, so many things in the book of Acts, the disciples, they started to remember. I remember when the Lord told us this. As I call them like little time bombs. How the Lord would plant these little time bombs. You know, if you ever work with explosives, just, you know, I used to work with explosive, explosives. And so like, you know, you take this little time device, you have this projectile time device and you put it on top and you adjust the time and then the, the you know the rocket goes off or the projectile flies and then it lands and so all the bad guys you know they're like oh you know it's, it's nothing it's a dud so they all get out of their fighting holes they come out of their fighting holes and blows up so it's like a time that's what the lord does with us sometimes you hear something you hear you read the word of god you hear something and the lord is like launching these little time bombs these little projectiles in your heart and yeah, you're receiving truth, but then at the same time, what happens a week from now? What happens a month from now? And then boom, the time bomb goes off. Oh, I remember. That's what the Lord was talking about. I get it now. And you know what? You fall deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Him. It's holy. He's holy. This is how He works. It's supernatural. I can't explain it. So many people try to explain it. Well, you know, the, they use these big fancy words, you know. It's like, I don't even know what that means. It's supernatural. You can't explain it. Remember, those who know, know in part. The love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Those who know, know only in part. So you have these brainiacs. Well, they use these big words. That's fine and dandy, but you know, you only know a fraction. So look what happens here. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means has he been made well? Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you rejected by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone this is some major major hardcore stuff because peter a fisherman is speaking don't forget he's speaking to the learned class and you have this low society so to speak this low society fisherman speaking to the learned have you ever talked to the learned class before <coughs> I've been in meetings before where, you, you know, you, I'm talking to a guy at his desk, you know, and you look above the wall and you see his, all his certificates. It's like, whoa, you went to MIT? Whoa, you have a law degree from Harvard? It's like, whoa, it's like, I got to change how I talk. You know, use these words. I don't even know if this is right. You know, he says, oh, excuse me, let me go to the bathroom. He goes to the bathroom. I'm like on my phone. Like, what did I say? What does this word mean? You know, that's how Peter was, you know. He starts to speak. He's not the, the learned class. This fisherman. Fisherman was low society back then. Referencing things written in the Psalms. Things written in Isaiah. Things written in Jeremiah. The builders are the ruling class. These rulers and elders. And the stone rejected is Jesus Christ. Who has now become the chief cornerstone. Paul writes about this too in Galatians and Ephesians. Mostly in Ephesians. 
about the chief cornerstone is, you know, the cornerstone first and the Holy Spirit starts to build more and more and more and more. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Who is the cornerstone in your heart? I pray it's Jesus Christ, but then at the same time, I pray that the Holy Spirit continues to build and build and build inside of his temple. Inside of his temple. This is a major indictment that Peter is saying to this learned, the, the, the learned class, the ruling class, this stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there any salvation in any other. No one else can save. No one else can save. Buddha can't save you. Muhammad can't save you. You read the Hindu Vedas. That can't save you. There's no salvation. There is no salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which men must be saved. Somebody needs to tell the Pope that. The Pope needs to read his Bible. You know, you go to, you know, Catholic Mass, Midnight Mass. What do they do? It's like, oh, let me light these candles. Let me light these candles for all my dead ancestors. You know, I'll light this candle and then I'll go back to the pew, you know, and then I pray for Mary to go into uh, 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 purgatory and rescue my dead ancestor and take for Mary to take my dead ancestor to rescue them from purgatory and take them to Jesus Christ. I give you the Roman Catholic Church. Garbage in accordance with holy, the Holy Scriptures. Garbage, it's not biblical. People praying to Mary. Somebody needs to tell the Pope. Now, he says in verse 13, now when they saw the boldness, I love this so much. Translate says, you know, he's frank. He's blunt. He's confident, he's open, and he speaks plainly. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, translates as illiterate, and untrained men, translates as ignoramus and idiot. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. That's what's so beautiful about intimacy with Jesus Christ. Intimacy with the Lord, oneness with Him. We have all these things that can distract us in the world. Phones, emails, text messages. You know, we have Netflix. We have all these things in the world. News, movies, TV shows, whatever it might be. Distractions. What about intimacy with the Lord? Oneness with the Lord. Turn off the TV, take the remote, throw it out in the backyard. Sit on your couch and read the holy word of God. It's instruction in righteousness. It's supernatural. I can't explain it. But that's how the Lord works. The beauty of intimacy with the Lord. When you do have intimacy with the Lord, you will be different. Guaranteed, you will be different. You say, well, Jay, you know, you tell me if I have intimacy with the Lord, I'll be different. But you know what? I'm not different. Well, you didn't have intimacy with the Lord. You may have had intimacy with a book. No disrespect to the Lord by referring to Holy Scripture as a mere book. But remember, Holy Scripture is spiritually discerned. You take college classes on, you know, theology and they read the Bible as literature. 
They say, well, this is the Christian doctrine. They read the Bible as literature. You can't read the Bible as literature. It's spiritually discerned, the Holy Spirit. Have you ever read one little verse and the Holy Spirit ministers to you very deeply and especially in a unique way? And then one week later, you read the exact same verse. Exact same verse. And the Holy Spirit ministers to you in a different way. That's what I mean when I say it's spiritually discerned. The word became flesh. That's what's so cool about 1 Corinthians 1 when Paul is writing to the, a carnal church. He says, God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. If you ever get on a high horse and you're like, wow, look how holy I am. Don't forget 1 Corinthians 1. God chooses the base things of the world to shame the wise. And intimacy with the Lord, you will be different. You remember Moses? We haven't got there yet in our study on Wednesday, but Moses, you know, he's going to be have intimacy with the Lord. And, you know, he, his face changes. His countenance changes. He has to put a veil on, you know, because he's different. What about you when you have intimacy with the Lord? Is your countenance different? And do you also have to wear a covering? You say, what do you mean covering? I'm talking about Jesus Christ. He is our covering. And look what happens here. Whoa. I thought it was like 10 minutes. Sorry, I didn't know. Okay. We'll end our study here. Let's...